Hello and welcome to Handels Bank and Insights. I'm Daniel Marnie. On this week's economic update, we'll look at the latest outlook for inflation in the run-up to this week's MPC meeting. Plus, we look at the current UK economy's performance as Friday's fiscal event approaches. And we'll conclude with a look at Handels Bank and UK's latest publication on the must-know facts for the UK economy. Joining me to discuss all of this is James Sproul, Handels Bank and UK's Chief Economist. James, let's kick off with the inflation picture. Uh, Last week, we had both numbers out from the UK and US. In both cases, the headline rate came down, but the core rate went up. How do you think this is going to impact the way the Fed and the Bank of England reacts this week? Well, clearly, we've seen a a lot of change, really, to coming through with inflation. Um, The big thing for the UK, of course, has been what's happened in terms of uh, the energy price cap, which is really going to be starting to address inflation a lot. And if we look at, as you say, you know, the headline figure came down, but there's still a lot there, and there's still a lot of it which is attributable to energy. But, and it's a really big but, the expectation now is that we're probably near, or certainly within the next few weeks, the peak of inflation. And from here on in, it should start, uh, sort of from October onwards, a downward slope. Uh, and that's going to be a lot sooner than we had expected, and a lot lower rate. We had expected to go to sort of 14, and some people had even been saying scary numbers like 18 or 22, which clearly are not going to happen at all now. I, I don't think they were ever going to happen at all. But And uh, we are now heading down towards our 2% target. Certainly see it falling, but it's not going to be falling quite as quickly as we might hope or like. That said, I think it's probably pretty good news on inflation overall, certainly here in the UK. Looking at the US and what's been going on in the US, now they don't have the same issue that we do with um, energy prices because they do have, of course, uh, much more self-sufficient in energy and they never saw the, the price spike upwards. For, for them, whilst there was an energy element, it was also a lot about the stimulus checks that had been sent out to everybody and those had really pushed uh, a lot of uh, inflation through to the economy as a whole. Now, they're not sending any more of those checks out, but at the same time, the Federal Reserve is feeling like it needs to put up interest rates a lot quicker. And ultimately, uh, it, it is really important to realize that uh, both the inflation numbers here and in the U.S., they're all tied together in so much as how do we react to them? Uh, no one nation is going to go uh, go it alone on all of this. Okay, so just focusing on the U.K. for a moment, we also had employment and earnings data. They seem to show that the labor market, if anything, is tightening even further. It was already very tight, but for example, unemployment down to a very low level, just 3.6%. Could this be feeding into that risk of a wage price spiral? You know, how, how would the Bank of England respond to that? Well, it, it, it is certainly one of the things the Bank of England has been watching for a lot. Um, and so far, it's not really coming through all that much. If we look at the, the headline rate of, of uh, pay rises, etc., you could sit there and say, well, look at there, there's sort of between 5 and 6%. At the same time, of course, inflation is much higher. So in real terms, we're looking at negative numbers coming through and all of that. Now, there's a difference between public sector and private sector. Public sector not doing quite as well now. Um, but I do think that those numbers are often a bit skewed because one of the expensive things for a lot of the public sector is the pensions, which aren't counted into those figures. So I'm not sure we're getting quite a, a clear picture on all of that. But in headline terms, I don't think we are looking at sort of wage price spiral that maybe many people are fearing. One of the things that's really important to realize is that you know, the last time we really had a wage price spiral was in the 1970s, when much, much more of the economy as a whole was tied to trade union bargaining. And we could see some, some difficult trade union bargaining going on right now, but it really isn't very much of the economy that's being affected. So I, I'm not thinking that this is a big deal. 
on the unemployment, you're absolutely right, of course, that this is the lowest rate you had since really the early 1970s. So that's that's just fantastic. Except, and that, that's a p pretty big exception, is this going to be causing inflation? I think at the moment, no, um, partly because the unemployment figure itself doesn't really fully reflect what's going on in the employment market. What we've seen is also a lot of economically inactive people. Many times, that, of course, these are people over the age of 55. Um, these are people who, for one reason or another, may have become discouraged, or they may have decided they wanted to take early retirement. My uh, my, my prediction here is that a lot of those people over time are going to find that they, their pension savings might not go quite as far as they would like. And by the way, many of them probably want a bit, a bit more organization or, or structure to their weeks, and they may drift back into the labor market if the right sorts of jobs can be found. That's certainly what's been happening in the U.S., and I would expect that same sort of thing to be happening here in the U.K. Okay, so it's interesting that you don't think we are seeing the beginnings of a wage price spiral in the U.K., but in the U.S., wage settlements seem to be quite a bit higher than they are in the UK. I think we're up to about 7% in the US. And that does seem to be feeding some pressures on the core rate of inflation there. Do you think there's more of a risk of that wage price spiral happening in the US? Yes, certainly the US has seen a greater real um, wage price spikes upwards, um, you know, anecdotally, and, and one that was always fear, fearful of uh, thinking anecdote is the singular of data. Uh, my traveling around in the US this summer, you saw lots and lots of, of health monitor signs. It didn't seem to be a problem at all getting a job. Some of them even reasonably well paying. Um, but that's not the case we've seen here in the UK, US. Um, sorry, here in the UK, we are we are seeing um, less pressure on those wages. And so I think that might be just one of those differentials we see between the United States and the United Kingdom uh, coming up at the moment. So in light of the fact that we probably are at peak inflation in the UK and inflation is, is probably going to come down uh, over the coming months, what do you expect for the pathway of monetary policy? Well, I think monetary policy, of course, has two important elements. And everybody's focused on the, the interest rate, which is, is clearly critical. Um, we have been calling for a 50 basis point rise now and another 50 basis point rise later in the autumn, followed by a 25 basis point rise after that. But, and it's a pretty big but, that would take us to 3% by the end of the year, of course. Um, it's a pretty big but, and that big but is what are other people in the world doing? What are other central banks doing? And we've just seen, for instance, that the Riksbank Bank in Sweden got by a full 100 basis points of 1%. Uh, we're seeing the Federal Reserve is going to make a decision a day before the Bank of England makes a decision. Uh, and that's going to be um, you know, a lot of speculation looking at what's going on. Are they going to go for 75 basis points? Might they go even more? And the more that other central banks in the world go higher, uh, the more that our own forecast has to sort of reflect that as well. Uh, it's all well and good to sit there and say, you know, the Bank of England is making decisions just for the domestic economy. But it also does exist in a world in which central banks do these things in a sort of coordinated fashion. And if the Bank of England were to be lagging that much more, sterling would take that much more pressure. And sterling is already under a good deal of pressure. So whilst I don't think the Bank of England is targeting the exchange rate at all, nor is it ignoring what other central banks are doing. So um, stand by for, for some, some interesting uh, uh, developments here. The other bit of monetary policy, of course, doesn't really receive enough attention as far as I'm concerned, is what's going on in terms of quantitative easing and quantitative tightening. Now, we had a lot of quantitative easing. We, we accumulated up to £895 billion worth of debt, so about 40% of our GDP. Uh, the US did 38%. The Eurozone's done over 80%. So there's a lot of quantitative easing out there, and we're starting to unwind it. Now, we in the UK started to unwind it in March of this year with passives, so we just let bonds run off. Uh, now we're undertaking... Um, permission to take active. So they're going to not just have bonds running off, but they're also going to start to actively sell some of their bond portfolio. Other countries are just at the passive stage. The ECB is talking about uh, doing some passive uh, QE or sort of passive quantitative tightening as of the beginning of next year, but that's, that's still in the discussion stage. Um, but how this is going to impact um, the, the broader economy is still open to question. Now, one of the things that certainly 
was a um, objective of quantitative easing when it was first put forward was that it would boost asset values. And so one can assume that asset values are going to come under pressure as they start more quantitative um, uh, tightening. And so that's one of the things we just have to watch out for. We don't know what the full effect is going to be, but the fact that it's going to have an effect is pretty much certain. So moving on to uh, what's happening on Friday, uh, we call it a fiscal event. Uh, Other people might call it a mini budget. Can you set out what we should expect from this fiscal event, but also what the implications of this might be, particularly in terms of the fact that we've got this quantitative tightening programme happening at the same time that we're going to hear a lot of announcements that will increase debt issuance? Yeah, first of all, on on the fiscal event mini-budget, we are still going to have a budget in November, uh, and it's um, it's a legal requirement for the Chancellor to put forward two forecasts for the UK economy in every fiscal year, and so one of them is going to be November, another one will be in March, so that will be his second one. So this event we're having on Friday does not have an Office for Budget Responsibility report coming out about what's going on in the economy. It's just really putting some meat on the promises that uh, Liz Truss has made during the Conservative leadership campaign. So I think we, we can look at a number of things that have really been um, well trailed in advance because they were, of course, big parts of her uh, election manifesto, um, and that is a rolling back of the uh, one, 1.25% on national insurance, which was put forward in the spring. It's unclear whether the, the employer's part will come off on that as well. That's something to watch for. Um, there's also going to be uh, almost certainly a cancellation of the rise to corporation tax. Uh, she was talked a lot about that. There may well be a delay for some period of time until the energy prices come back of some of the green levies, so making uh, energy a bit more affordable on, on all of that. Um, there's been talk uh, about other big issues coming forward. Uh, every chancellor likes to have a bit of a surprise, and I wouldn't be at all surprised for him to have something like that in his sleeve that he won't have talked about, which he wants the media to focus on. And whether that's a VAT cut, whether that's a, an additional income tax cut, I don't know. But I wouldn't be at all surprised as I say, to see something else coming through and all that. How is all of this going to be afforded? This is a big, big question. A lot of people are getting very, very excited about it. I think they're probably getting overexcited about it. There has certainly been a lot of doom and gloom about the UK economy over the last few years. One of the things that's certainly going to happen is, you know, can the UK government issue enough gilts? And as you say, given that the Bank of England isn't going to be buying those gilts anymore, well, the Bank of England, along with the European Central Bank and the US Federal Reserve, are all stuck in that same boat. If you don't have your central bank buying lots of your debt, how far down are bond prices going to fall before you, you manage to get all of them out there? And the answer is, we don't quite know, but it may be a little bit higher than the, the Chancellor would, would like. Already, we've seen the Chancellor, for instance, issuing a lot of floating rate notes, so notes that um, take away the, the inflationary element um, or danger for investors. Of course, that's now a quarter of the debt stock, and that's proving to be quite expensive for the Treasury. But ultimately, uh, the UK, as a sovereign borrower, has never defaulted. And ultimately, uh, I don't think there will be a problem for the UK to, uh, government to get away this debt. They may have to pay a bit more for it than they were anticipating, um, but I don't think the idea of a guilt strike of, of the sort that we saw in the 1970s is a realistic one. James, I know you've also been looking at some data on uh, how consumers are coping with the cost of living. Um, what's the ONS data set telling us? Yeah, so the ONS has done some interesting work on how do people react and how are they making adjustments for the cost of living crisis? Now, it's not going to be as bad as it was because, of course, we've got this energy price cap. But at the same time, you know, even the energy price cap is, means energy will cost about double what it cost a year or more ago. And so clearly people are needed to respond to that. 
For instance, the ONS found that over half of people are spending less on non-essentials. And then they said, well, how about using less uh, electricity? Obviously, the electricity prices, as I say, have gone up. And over half of people are spending less on electricity. Then reducing non-essential journeys. Again, about 40% of people, 45% of people are doing that. There are some issues which are a bit more, more problematic, spending less money on essential food. That's about a third of people, up to 40% of, of people with parents. So clearly that's a bit more uh, of a problem. And then shopping around more, which strikes me as the, the obvious alternative if the price of something has gone up. A bit more shopping around is probably a very good idea. And then using more credit. It's sitting around 20, 22% of the, the people are using a bit more credit. We have seen that. But the Bank of England data shows us that the uh, increase in the use of credit really is within the historic norms. So again, I'm not as concerned about all that. I think what it shows is people across the country are being pretty prudent, pretty pretty obvious as to what they were doing. They're doing the obviously good things. Uh, and I don't, um, I think it, it shows that the economy as a whole is likely, if this is all it entails, it's likely to survive pretty well. And James, just to conclude, as turbulence increases in the UK economy, people naturally become much more interested in economics. And I know that you, uh, for Handelsbank Bank in UK, have published 10 key facts on the UK economy. So can you just uh, run through for the listeners what, what these 10 key facts are and why they should read this publication? I think there's a number of things out there that everybody who participates in finance, whether they be a banker or whether they be you know, using a lot of banking facilities and, and, and services should just know what is the size of the UK economy, you know, what is the size of consumer expenditure, what's happening to demographics in the, in the UK, looking at foreign exchange, how big is the foreign exchange market, $6.6 trillion a day, it's absolutely enormous, um, you know, what's happening in terms of residential property, the average house in this country, costs £320,000, and about two-thirds of people are owner-occupiers, and just under half of those people have a mortgage. So that's just some sort of basic facts that you should just know because it gives you a way to, to judge scale. It gives you a way to, to uh, appreciate what's going on with the economy as a whole. That should just be the sort of thing that anybody who follows finance knows. Uh, and finally, looking at the stock of wealth. So uh, the UK stock of wealth is actually very, very good. Um, we have £14 trillion in, in wealth in the UK. 5.5 of that is in property, and the rest is in financial wealth. So um, you know, property is really, really important. Uh, financial wealth is a bit more concentrated in terms of, you know, it's really the top third of people holding the vast majority of that, whereas property, it's two-thirds of people. So the paper is available on our website. Download it, have a read. And for anyone who wants to read that, we will add a link in the show notes. Thanks, James, and look forward to catching up on Monday next week. Thanks for listening to Handles Bank and Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app where you're listening because it helps other people find us. You might also want to share this episode on social media. See you next time.